All right, well, hey, why don't you grab your Bibles, if you have one, and come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. That's in the New Testament, right after the book of Romans. And I want to read for us a, a, a verse here. This is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's sharing these words from the prophet Isaiah that were written hundreds of years ago before him. And what I love about the Scriptures, friends, is that while, while this book was a, is a compilation of you know, 66 books written over the span of hundreds, thousands of years, what, what I love is that it's still timeless, that it still speaks to us today. Amen? The Holy Spirit's going to speak to us this morning. I trust that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, let's listen to these words from Paul. He writes this, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Let me read that again. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. And verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Whether, whether you know it or not, God has created you with incredible potential and for a purpose that only you can fulfill. You've been made for a life of adventure, a life of abundance, a life of excitement, a life that truly matters and makes an impact in this world. You have been created by God to live a life that is so intimately connected to the heart of the Father that you can't help but, but live out those inconceivable hopes and dreams that God has for your life. And God's calling you into this beautifully full and exciting life right now. You see, I'm convinced, friends, as here we stand the first Sunday of 2018, I'm convinced that this is a year to dream. It's a year to dream God-sized dreams, to, to embrace God's amazing future for our lives and to see the world change, to see this place where we live, this city, this region, radically changed by Jesus, as together with Him we release the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's time to dream, to dream with God, and to begin living into God's future for our lives. And it all starts with God's dream for us. Did you know that God has a dream let me say that again. God has a dream. It kind of sounds like MLK, you know what I mean? I have a dream, right? Here we go. I'm getting in my black preacher voice. I love it. But God, God has a dream for us. He does. And now what do, I, what do I mean by that? Do I mean that right now that God is in heaven, he's asleep, and he's, he's passively dreaming about, you know, um, showing up to school, not ready for that exam he has to write, or he's dreaming about being chased by dogs or thugs? But what about this dream, you know? And don't have a dream that you show up to work really late or you show up with like, worse yet, without like a certain article of clothing on, right? Is that the kind of dream that God is having right now in heaven? No, I don't think so, right? That's, that's not what I mean when I say that God has a dream. What I mean instead, friends, is this, that, that God has a, a vision, a, a goal, a desire. He has this, this preferred future. It's his dream and it's one for all of humanity. And if I can be so bold as to say this, that, that you and I, we have been invited by God to play a key role in the fulfillment of that great dream of His. All right, so what is God's dream? What is it? And how can we 
right? Mere humans, how can we possibly know God's, what, what, what his dream is? Didn't we just read in the scriptures that no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for us, right? Didn't we just read this? We did, but we also read in verse 10, what does Paul say? And these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. How can I stand before you and say that I know that the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, this God whose, whose ways are higher than my ways, whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts, whose, whose foolishness is even stronger and wiser than all of man's wisdom, how can I say that I know what God's dream is for us? It's because he's revealed it to us right here, right here in this book. And this is, this is the story of God's dream for us. For humanity, every nation, every tribe and tongue, every person sitting here. This is the story of God's dream. And it's also, it's also his invitation. He, he's drawing us in through the words of Scripture. He's drawing us to, to dream with him. To start living into his preferred future for our lives. So back to my question, what is God's dream? Well, it begins way back in Genesis. Back in Genesis chapter 1, 1, we, we see that at the beginning of, of time, what does God do? He creates, right? He creates with, with nothing but his very breath. He, he breathes, he speaks into existence that which was not. And he creates the world, right? This perfectly good world full of beautiful plants and animals, full of all these amazing smells and sights and, and sounds. He, he creates this perfectly good world. And then what does he do? He he takes Adam and Eve, humanity, right, the pinnacle of his creation, and he, and he places them in the center of this paradise that he's created. And then what does he say? What does he say to them? He says, rule and reign, right? Rule and reign, go. This, this paradise that I've just created, I now give it to you. Everything I have is now yours. And he says, everything you see, it's, it's for you, for your enjoyment, for your benefit. It's yours Go, rule and reign, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And together, together we're going to live in this perfect garden, in perfect harmony for the rest of eternity. Wow. You see, this, this was God's dream, right? This was his dream, to, to live with us, right? His most prized possession, to live with us, us enjoying him and him enjoying us in, in relationship for the rest of eternity, just us and our dad, us and our king, our creator, God. Surely this was his intent in creation. This was his dream. So we have, to ha we have to ask ourselves what happened. What happened, right? Well, sin happened. While paradise was gained that day in Genesis 1, while this perfect relationship with God was gained that day in Genesis 1, as we see in Scripture only two chapters later, Genesis 3, paradise is lost, isn't it? Through the sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, what do we see happen? Right, Because they chose to disobey God, that, that one request that he had of them, that, that perfect relationship between creator and creation, between us and God, that perfect relationship was, was forfeited, it was lost. And that great dream of God's to, to live in perfect, unhindered relationship with us was broken by the very ones he dreamt into existence. It's tragic, isn't it? Thanks be to God that the story doesn't end there. Amen? Right? The story doesn't end there. No, you see, God's dream, it's greater than all the mistakes or errors of humanity, isn't it? 
God's, God's dream is greater than our sin. And what do we see God do? How does God fix this great problem? And he chooses to reconcile this tragedy by taking on the very flesh that he created. And he comes to us in the form of a man, Jesus. And through a perfectly lived life, a perfect sinless life, God in the flesh, he chose to die for us, for me, in, in, our, in our place so that we could now be restored back to that beautiful, perfect relationship with our Father. See, this was and, and it is, it's God's dream for us to be in relationship with me and with you. And, and now through Jesus, that dream that was once lost, that was once broken by sin, it, it can now through Jesus again become a reality. You know, if nothing else, this dream of God's, it should speak to us of the deep, deep love that the Father has for us, right? Friends, you are so loved by God that he himself died for you. And he did so in order that you could know him, love him, live with him, dream with him. Isn't that incredible? That God would do that for us, right? That dream that he had, man, he cared so much for it that it actually cost him his son his son's very life. That was the, the cost of God's dream. No wonder Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 9, right, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This was and is God's dream. Okay, so what, what does this dream have to do with us now then? Right? What, what does this dream of God's have to do with us, you know, dreaming with him or, or, or living into a, a life of purpose, a life of abundance and adventure, a life of eternal impact? Well, as we heard last Sunday from our three awesome preachers, right? Luke already talked about them, but they're awesome. Nicole Jones, Greg Wimmer, Ryan Isfeld. What a great Sunday. As we heard from them, this, this, this dream of God's to reconcile back to himself all those he loves, it actually doesn't end with us. You see, our coming to faith in Christ, it isn't just the conclusion of our story, is it? I think in Christianity, we often tell ourselves that, that, that our story, it, it kind of ends when we, when we come to faith in Jesus. That, that's, that's what we are, you know, we are apart from Jesus, and now here we go, we, we meet Jesus, and then the rest is kind of history, but that's, that's not what Scripture teaches. Instead, our coming to faith is actually the beginning of this great dream that God has for us. You see, well, it's God's dream for all mankind to be restored back to himself, Right? As we see in Scripture, God wants all, all humanity to be saved and to come to a knowledge of, uh, of the truth. Who is Jesus Christ? Through Jesus, God has now invited you and I to play a key role in, in seeing that dream come to be a reality. Did you know that when you were saved, you were saved not only from something, but to something as well? Did you know that? Come with me to Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8. Let me say that again. When you were saved, you were not only saved from something, right? From, from the, the punishment of sin, which is, which is death and eternal separation from God. But you were also saved to something, says Scripture. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, picking up at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For, verse 10... We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to what? To go and do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What Paul is saying here is, is not only that we were saved from something, but we were saved to something. 
We were saved so that we could go and live a life of meaning. Saved so we could live a life of, of purpose, a life that would truly change the landscape where we live, and all for the glory of God. You see, what we need to realize this morning, friends, is that God has saved us so we could actually begin living out our destiny. So we could actually go and, and live out that dream that he has for us, which is to release the kingdom of heaven on earth. You see, our vision as a church is to be a people who wherever we go, wherever we are, wherever we're employed, you know, with whoever is around us, that, that we're on mission for Jesus with Jesus, releasing his kingdom all, all the time. This is why we exist. This is, this is why we're here. This is our vision. And it's a vision that was birthed out of the heart of the Father to see those far from God brought back into relationship with him through Christ. This, this really, this was Jesus' vision and mission as well while he was on earth, wasn't it? Right? This was his vision. This was his mission. How do, how do we know that? Well, just look at what he did while he was on earth. Right? He proclaims good news. Hey, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. Good news to the poor. He, he heals the sick and the lame. He binds up the brokenhearted, right? He proclaims freedom for captives. He releases from, from pr imprisonment those who are shackled by, by sin and, and shame. And he willingly and sacrificially dies this most you know, disgraceful of deaths in our place. And he did all of that in order to show us the Father's incomprehensible love for us. That's not all he lived and died for. You see, I think sometimes our soteriology needs a bit of a, a, a wake-up call. We have this, this understanding, this theological understanding that Jesus came to kind of reconcile what happened that day in Genesis 3. That he, that he came to bring us back into relationship, you know, relationally, spiritually with the Father. And then we just say that's, that's why he came. But he actually came for more, friends. You see, Jesus lived and died not just to, to reconcile what was done when Adam and Eve sinned, but he also came now to, to bring out the best in us. He, he came to show us how we're to live our lives as God's people. You know, as how this, this, this established, supernaturally empowered community of believers called the church, how now we're, we're called to partner with God to see the redemption and restoration of humanity become reality. You see, we've been invited by God to live on mission with him. Lives full of faith and expectation. Lives bursting with God's dreams for us, his ambitions for us. To live lives that actually seek to change the world around us for the glory of God. Friends, this is God's dream for our lives. And it's all rooted in, in his great dream that we see in, in creation, in his great dream that we see in sending his son. He wants relationship with us, and he wants to use us to now bring others into relationship with himself as well. And we're called to dream these God-sized dreams, God-inspired dreams, not selfish or greedy or arrogant dreams, but rather dreams fueled by love and passion, dreams fueled by the hope that we're going to leave this place better than when we showed up and arrived here, dreams that are going to honor God and that he's going to use to see humanity saved and come to a knowledge of Christ. You know, if you've ever wondered what, what God's will or plan or his dream for your life is, if you've ever kind of, you know, questioned, you know, why or to what purpose were you saved, man, it's this. 
It's to live a life that is so intimately connected with the heart of the Father that you cannot help but make an eternal impact in the hearts and lives of those around you. That's God's will for your life. That's his dream. But this kind of world-changing dream or this world-changing life, it only comes to fruition as we uh, allow ourselves to be shaped by God, right? shaped by his dreams for our lives. Going back to where we started this morning, 1 Corinthians 2.9, did you notice how, how Paul says that it's those who love God that he's prepared these great and unsearchable things for? Did you notice that? How it's those who love God, whom God has revealed himself to by his spirit. It's those who love God, who he wants to use to, to change the world. As Urban McManus, pastor of Mosaic Church in L.A., and author of the book Wide Awake, says, God gives God-sized dreams to people with God-shaped hearts. And it's only when God is at the core of our lives that, that he becomes the inspirer of our dreams. That's where it all begins, isn't it? God's dream is to be in relationship with us. And truly, it's only out of relationship that we're able to, to dream wild, audacious dreams, to have these crazy goals. Right? It's, all, it's all rooted in intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy really is the ball game. God wants to use us to make a difference. We've got to be close to Jesus. And when we spend time with him, he's whispering to us, hey, this is my dream for your life. This is, this is my dream for the lives of those around you. This is what I want to do through you. You've been created for greatness. God has a dream for your life. He wants to dream with you, through you. He wants to use you now to make a, a difference in the world. I was reflecting this week upon you know, stories of historical greats. I was thinking of you know, Martin Luther King. C.S. Lewis, Mother Teresa, these, these men, these women who, who have made you know, huge marks on history, not just society, but history. You know, think of Billy Graham, these huge historical greats. And I was thinking, what, what makes them so much different than you and I here today? Have they been created with any less love and intention and purpose? No, I don't think so. What I think distinguishes these men and women, friends, is that they they, they were so close to Jesus, and they so radically believed that his dream for humanity could become reality, and they just lived towards that purpose. They lived towards that end. And I, I really honestly believe that the same can be for you and I, for all of us here. Did you know that there are certain things in this world that only you can do? Did you know that? The, the Bible tells us that. Scripture says that that God has made us with a distinct purpose and plan and hope and future, a destiny. Scripture also tells us that God has an incredible ambitious dream or dreams for your life. He's created you with unlimited potential. Going, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, back to this idea that we are God's handiwork, right? Created to do good works that God has prepared for us to do. What Paul is saying here is that there are things in this world that only you can accomplish. Did you know that? There are things in this world that only you can accomplish. Even before the foundations of the earth were laid, God foresaw, he, he planned, he dreamt that you would go and do things that only you can do. And, and so that through you, through your actions and your words, that the world might know that much more the creator of the universe. Isn't that incredible? 
that God would want to use you in such a way. In fact, that God would create you to, to accomplish certain things that no other person on this planet can do the way that you can do. That's insane to me. That blows my mind. That we've been created so one of a kind, so intently, so purpose-filled. You were made for a destiny that only you can fulfill. And, and those dreams that God has put in your heart, it's not just unrealistic, wishful thinking. Right? I think, you know, I look at my kids. I've got three kids, five, three, and one. And Maverick, my oldest, he likes drawing. And, you know, he, he, he dreams, don't they? Kids dream. And he brings to me this kind of, to be fair and honest, a bad piece of art. But he's like, Dad, it's the best in the world, right? And he's dreaming that he's this, like, amazing artist. And he's like, put on the fridge. Let me, like, photocopy it and put a big mural on the wall. Like, he just wants to, you know, he's dreaming. He's allowing himself to dream. And I think we start that way as kids, don't we? All of us. And yet somewhere along the line, along the way of life, we kind of just lose those dreams. Dreams to change the world. But it's God's heart that we would continue dreaming that way, friends. And so I want to say to you, those, those passions and desires that God has given you, that he's put in your heart, those things that kind of everybody else around you, they just don't get and understand, that's actually, that was done purposefully, intentionally. Those passions in your heart, they're not there by mistake. Those dreams that God has given you, it's not unrealistic, wishful thinking. No, you were created by God in Christ Jesus to do these certain works that he prepared in advance for you to do. He created you with unlimited potential. He created you for greatness. He created you to dream with God, to see that dream become a reality. And so I want to ask you this morning, what's the dream that God has put on your heart? What do you long to see more than anything else done in your family, in your city, in this country, in this world? What passions and desires has God given you? What skills and talents and spiritual gifts has he blessed you with? Now, what about this? What, what influence or authority or unique voice has he given you in the workplace or in your social sphere? What people has he placed in your life that only you can reach? That, that only you have the potential to share the love of Christ with? Where has God given you the potential to change the outlook of others? To change the landscape around you? Perhaps even to change the very course of history? You see, you've been created for greatness. Created for a life of meaning and purpose that only you can fulfill. And you've been saved, not just from something, but to something. Saved in order that you would now live as this releaser of the kingdom of heaven influencing wherever you go the hearts and minds of those around you in the name of Jesus. This is God's dream for you. And he's longing for you to begin living it out right now. But here's the kicker. Here it is. We will only ever reach our true God-given potential if we choose to leave behind our baggage, to move forward in faith, and to embrace a life of adventure. And so I want to talk about leaving your baggage behind for a few moments. Now, let's be honest. We, we've all experienced at one time or another those, those blockades that come between us and our dreams, haven't we? 
Now, maybe it's opposition or cynicism. Maybe it's even resentment of those closest around you. Maybe it's your friends, your colleagues, your family even. Maybe it's that your dreams were once squashed by past mistakes, that you were, you know, years ago, well on your way to accomplishing that thing that God deposited in your heart, and yet because of a monetary setback, or maybe because of the, the actions of another, or just this unforeseen event, that those dreams were squashed. And, and now you're sitting there, you're just stuck. You're sitting there disheartened, you feel discouraged, you're lacking in faith, lacking in trust. Maybe for you, you're sitting here and you've allowed self-doubt to disqualify you from even trying to achieve that dream that God put in your heart. Maybe you believed a lie that you're not important, that you were not created for greatness, that that this is the the best that life is ever going to get. Maybe you believe the the lie that you're too old, that you're too young, too inexperienced, too ill-equipped. Anyone believing that lie lately? What lies have you allowed to hold you captive, keeping you you bound to this less than life of monotony and and safety rather than living a a life of purpose and adventure, this life that God's calling you into? What's holding you back? What what baggage are you carrying around? If we're ever going to live into our destiny and see our dreams become reality, we've got to get rid of everything that hinders. We've got to get rid of our baggage. Listen to these words from the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. He writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Did you hear what he said? We need to throw off everything that hinders Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Right? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, not our, our past mistakes or failures, not, not our regrets, but on Jesus. We've got to leave our baggage behind, friends. And so I'm asking you today, what, what are you carrying around that's weighing you down? What are you carrying around that's holding you back? Is it the negative voices around you? Is it resentment? Or bitterness? Is it lies that you've allowed yourself to believe? What about past failures or mistakes? Is that the baggage you need to leave behind? Let the past be the past and move forward to the future. What about sin? Past or present sin? Do you need to leave that behind? Yeah, you do. Is it comfort? Is it pride? Is it insecurity? Is it, is it over-security? I like where I am right now. I, I feel comfortable. I feel safe, right? But what about fear? Is fear holding you captive? Is it your faith in God that's maybe a little too small? What's your baggage? What's holding you back from living out that dream that God has for your life? You need to identify it. You need to name it. And then you need to surrender it to Jesus. Give it to him. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. And free yourself from whatever it is that's, that's holding you back from, from achieving that dream that God has for you. You need to leave your baggage behind. No one else can do this but you. 
You, you alone are the steward of your life. And you must choose what you're going to do with the talent and the passions and the dreams that God has given you. And, and equally so, you need to choose what you're going to do with your baggage. Whether you're going to put it on like a backpack and trudge through life, carrying all this unnecessary weight, or whether you're going to throw off everything that hinders and run free this race that God has set out before you. You've got to leave your baggage behind. It's God's will for you to dream with Him and make an impact on this world like no one else can but you. It starts with dreaming with God and leaving your baggage behind. So how else can we begin living into this dream that God has for our lives? Well, not only do we leave our baggage behind, but also we need to move forward in faith. We need to move forward in faith. Now, I want to talk about fear for a moment. I know I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I want to actually talk about it right now. I'm personally convinced that fear is the number one killer of dreams. You want to know why? Because it robs us of our faith in God through whom all things are possible. You see, friends, faith, that thing that we see in Hebrews 11, right, this, this confidence in what we hope for, this assurance that what we can't see, faith cannot exist where fear dwells. Just can't. Come with me to the book of Numbers, Old Testament book, near the front of the, the Bible, Numbers chapter 13. I want to read a story for us that illustrates this power of fear over faith. All right, let me give you some context as you flip there. Here's Israel. All right, they're, they're hanging out in the wilderness. They've just recently been delivered from 400 years of, uh, of slavery in, in Egypt. And now approximately two years into this journey of theirs, they arrive at the edge of this land that was promised to them by God, you know, aptly called the promised land, right? This land was promised to them some 450 years ago when, when God first called Abraham to, to go and inherit this land, you know, Genesis 12, Right? It's this land that's been promised to them for, for centuries, and, and here they are standing at the edge of this land, about to go in. God says to Moses, send some scouts, send some spies, some, you know, a reconnaissance team, send them into the land and get them to check out what's, what, what it looks like. And so Moses says to the men, all right, go, go and do just that, check out the land. What, what kind of soil is there? Is it a fertile land? Is it good for crops? Is it good for livestock? And then what about the, the people who live in that land, right? Are there lots of cities and villages? Are there, do they have tall walls? Are they fortified? Do, do they have strong men, weak men, big armies? Like just let's figure out uh, let's, what, what the land looks like to get a battle plan ready to go as we jump into the promised land. So listen to the report that these men brought back to Moses. Numbers 13, 27. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. See, here's its fruit. I don't know if you guys remember part of the story, but as these scouts are checking out the land, they found a bundle of grapes so big that it took two full-grown men to carry it back to Moses. They're like, here's its fruit, Moses. We got enough grapes for like a month, you know? It's awesome. It's, a, it's awesome land. It's perfect land. It's so fertile. But, they say, verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Jumping down to verse 32, they said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. So think giants. Think Goliath. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. 
In other words, what are these men saying? They're saying, hey, Moses, that, that land that God promised us, that land that, that the, you know, God who delivered us from Egypt through signs and wonders, through, through parting the very sea, he said, go in and inherit as your own land, that, that land that God swore to drive out the nations before us, if only by faith we would step into that land and claim it as our own. Yeah, that, that promised land, yeah, there's no way we can take it. There's no way we can take it. The people are too strong. There's too many. We might as well just hang out here. Maybe we should go back to Egypt, right? What we read here in Numbers 13 is not the, the words of men filled with faith in God, but rather the, the words of men robbed of their God-given dreams by fear. You see, these scouts had allowed fear to become for them a blockade, keeping them from, from that which was promised to them. Do you know what the worst part of the story is? It's not that their fear, this decision to, to be frozen by fear, kept them out of the promised land forever, right? They, they actually, that was a, a, a penalty of their lack of faith in God. God said, all right, well, these guys don't obviously believe, so let's roam around the desert for 40 more years waiting for these dudes to die off, and then you can go into the promised land, right? That, that's how the story goes, by the way. All right, cool. That's not the most tragic part, though. What's, what's most tragic to me in the story is how this decision by these men to, to, to stay frozen in fear rather than moving forward in faith, how, how that decision denied these men from ever fully achieving their God-given potential and seeing God's great dream for their lives become reality. That's what's most tragic. You see, these guys lived wasted lives. They did. They live wasted lives, riddled by fear. The late Dr. Miles Monroe, he's an author, was an author, international speaker, and evangelist. He, he tragically died in a plane crash a number of years ago in the Bahamas. But he wrote these words prior to his death. He said, the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard because there sit the dreams that were never released and the desires that never came forth that have been buried in the ground. There sit the businesses that were supposed to start that never came to fruition. There sit the books that were supposed to be written that were never penned to the page. These were the things that these people were called to do by God. But instead they sat scared on the sidelines thinking, maybe I'm born for more, but maybe I'm just born for this. Instead of taking the land that was promised to them by, by God, by, by fear, these men, they chose to sit on the sidelines they allowed fear to keep them from moving forward in faith, and the result, they live wasted lives. Fear and faith, they, they can't coexist. They just can't. Either we move forward in faith in the one for whom nothing is impossible, or we stay where we are, frozen by fear, but we can't be both. We just can't. We've got to choose one or the other, and the choice is yours. Again, only you can make that decision for your life. You are the steward of your life and your future. No one can choose this but you. And so I want to encourage you today, man, move forward in faith. Move forward in faith. If you read the story kind of in its totality, Numbers 13, you'll notice how out of this group of 12 scouts, there's actually one man, Caleb, who instead of giving into fear, he chose a different path. Numbers 13, 30, we read these words. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He was certain. You see, he had faith 
this assurance that what you can't see, this confidence in what you hope for. Caleb chose to believe in God's dream for Israel, his dream for his own life. And instead of looking at what was in front of him, right, instead of focusing his attention on the giants, on, on the insurmountable odds of taking this land by faith, he chose to look beyond the temporal to that beautiful, incredible future that God had promised Israel and her people. He chose to move forward in faith. And we need to move forward in faith, friends. And that should be our theme this year for 2018, moving forward in faith. Do you know that nothing is impossible for God? Did you know that? Do you know who said that? Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? Safe call. That's right. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says that, right? He actually says, you know, with man, this is not possible. With God, nothing is impossible, right? For God, nothing is impossible. There's nothing that he can't do, nothing. Oh, you can't pursue your dreams because finances are holding you back? Yeah, guess what? Nothing's impossible for God. That, 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 that business kind of plan or goal that God put on your heart to achieve this year And yet everybody else in your sphere of influence is saying, buddy, that's going to take you two years, five years, ten years to accomplish. Guess what, friends? Nothing's impossible with God. Those those people who who God has given you a burden to pray for, to pray for and expect their salvation, and yet they still seem so far from the kingdom, so far from Jesus. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. That, That illness, that sickness that you so desperately want to be healed of, in order that you could live into your dream. That, that illness the doctors are saying to you, it's impossible. This is all that there is for you. Friends, nothing is impossible for God. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. And there's nothing that he can't do. Fear has no place in the lives of those who are on Team Jesus. Amen? Amen. Right. We need to move forward in faith because with God, nothing is impossible. And then finally, how can we begin living into this dream of God's for our, our lives? We've got to embrace the adventure. Embrace the adventure. I love what Jesus says in John 10, 10. I have come that they, that you, might have life and life to the full. Right? Jesus lived and died and saved you so that you could live an abundant, full, adventurous life. Lives full of great risk and great reward. You see, I think we have an issue, especially in Canadian evangelicalism, with this idea of a reward, that God wants to reward you. Right? We say, oh, reward, stop talking about that. That's, that's called selfishness. No, actually, it's scriptural is what it is. God does want to reward you for a life, a life well lived, right? a, a life that is honoring to him, a life that puts others first before yourself. Just look at the Beatitudes. Right? God wants to, to reward you, friends. He wants to bless you. He, he wants us to live lives that, that are full of incredible joy and celebration and, and awe and wonder as we, as we look to him and say, wow, God, I can't believe you actually did that. And he says, yeah, I did that because nothing is impossible with me. You see, I think that for many of us, we've traded in a life of adventure a life of risk and faith for, for a life of security and safety, and we've called it spiritual maturity. But shouldn't it be that the more alive in Christ we become, that the more mature in Christ we become, the more adventurous and dangerous for the kingdom we grow as well? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be what it looks like? Dangerous for the kingdom. 
God wants us to have high expectancy that he's going to move in our time, that he's going to move in our city, that he's going to move in our church, that he's going to move in this nation. And he's inviting us to dream with him this morning to see our nation change, the city change for the glory of God. But it only comes as by faith. We, we, we surrender our baggage to him. Move forward in faith. Embrace the adventure. God wants you to embrace his dream for your life. And his purposes for you are good. Did you know that? His purposes for you are good. And the adventure that's waiting in front of you, that's God's best for you. You've been created for greatness, and God wants to accomplish through you more than all you could ask or imagine. But you need to dream. You've got to let yourself dream. You need to dream with God. You've got to let Him be the inspirer of your dreams. And sometimes, sometimes we even need to surrender our dreams for His. Right? It's like Abraham and Isaac. Put our Isaac on the altar because God has something else in store for us. Surrender your dreams, he's saying, because I have something incredibly great for you. See, God wants us to be world changers. We were created for greatness, created to make him famous, created to release the kingdom of heaven on earth. Friends, there are books to be written, buildings to be built, stores to be opened, businesses and new ventures to be started. There, there are kids to be born and raised, stories to be lived and told and recorded for all generations to come. There are elections to be won, policies and bills to be passed. There's medical procedures to be invented, cures to be found. There, there are songs to be written, inventions to be dreamt up. There's one-of-a-kind works of art to be crafted, awards to be won, legacies to be left. There are people to be reached, lost to be found, sick to be healed, broken to be bound up. There are captives and prisoners to be set free. Their hearts and lives to be radically changed by the love of Christ. There are good works to be done that only you can accomplish. Works that you were created and saved to go and do in the name of Jesus. And this is God's dream for you to dream with him, to dream of the impossible. God, what, what would you want to do here in this city? What would you want to do in my family? What would you want to do in our church in 2018? Let's, let's dream with him. Let's dream with him. So I'm asking you this morning, will you dare to dream with God? Will you dare in 2018 to step into his future for your life right now? Will you choose to believe that God has created you with incredible potential and for a purpose that only you can fulfill? Remember, you are God's handiwork. You've been created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You're not just a cog in the wheel of some great big mindless machine. No, you are a masterfully crafted piece of art. created by God for a unique purpose. It's God's will for you. His heart has dreamed to use you right now for his glory and for the benefit of those around you. And he's calling you today to dream with him. So I want to read for us this one passage of scripture, two verses. I already talked about it today, but Ephesians 3.20, listen to these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, 
according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Your future begins now, friends. Let's dream with God. 2018 is going to be a good year, isn't it? It's going to be a good year. If you want to be prayed for, ministered to, if you want to chat with somebody, we're going to have our ministry team at the front here. We're going to have lanyards on that kind of show who they are. If you want to just sit and reflect and respond, that's great. If you want to go home and jump in your car and write some notes down on your phone or journal, do that. Uh, I just want to encourage you, dream with God. Let's not let fear keep us frozen, but let's move forward in faith. And let's embrace that adventure. Amen? All right. We'll see you, friends, next Sunday. Happy New Year.